When was the last time you received a true gift? When I was in my 20s, most of the time when I got invited over to someone's house, it was assumed that I was going to bring something. None of us could really afford to host and not have someone bring a side dish or soda or something. And then when I got married and I moved to Rochester, I would ask people that were hosting us, many of you from this church, uh, can I bring anything? And the response was, you can bring yourself. So then my wife would ask me, hey, did you ask so-and-so what we could bring? And I said, they just said, bring ourselves. And you all are somewhat laughing because you know where I'm going with this. She's like, well, we have to get a hostess gift. And I go, what's a hostess gift? You know, a hostess gift is flowers, a bottle of wine, maybe it's some chocolates, but it's literally a gift to say thank you for giving us the gift of dinner. This morning, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and I wanted to make sure that I was understanding gifts correctly. So I went to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and it says this, a gift is something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. I want to be very, very clear. Um, I believe in the habit of hostess gifts, so I am not against hostess gifts. I want to be very clear about that. I do want to, though, talk about our misunderstanding about gifts. See, most of our gifts are associated with some type of transaction, For those of you that are in high school or college, you will get a graduation gift. You know, whether someone's leaving to take a new job, you might get a gift for that. A birthday gift. So because you were born, we're going to give you a gift. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you received a gift for no other reason than somebody was just giving you a gift? This morning, the main point of our message is this, is spiritual gifts demonstrate God's grace. Spiritual gifts demonstrate God's grace. The reason why I think it's so important for us to talk about gifts is for us to really understand spiritual gifts, we have to understand our misunderstanding about gifts in general. And so the Corinthian church Uh, We've been in a series called The Gathering. We've been talking about what it means to be the church. And the Corinthian church has kind of the same view of gifts that we have. They're connected to achievement, connected to doing something. But I think when we experience Jesus and when we come to experience the gospel, there's something powerful about gifts being given out of no other reason other than the grace that's extended to us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Before I read this passage about spiritual gifts, I think it's important we're starting a new section even in this gathering series. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is specifically about spiritual gifts. Um, And you can see this as an intro section. And one little quick tidbit, in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul starts a section that talks about questions that the Corinthians have. And so we can kind of point back that when it comes to this idea of spiritual gifts, the Corinthians had some questions, and then Paul moves into instruction. So for that background, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, 
Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, some, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts by, of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are at work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each as he determines. So the main point this morning, spiritual gifts demonstrate God's grace. One of the things that I've loved about this series, whether it's Rob or John, is we've tried to kind of paint a picture of what's happening in this passage. And I think it's really, really important. And I just kind of want to start a, on a caveat. Some of you, as you hear spiritual gifts, you're like super excited. Others of you might feel like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And some of you might be a little timid. Let me just encourage you about this passage. I think what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12 is helping us to get to the real motivation and purpose. So here's what was happening in the Corinthian church. And we'll see this later on in 1 Corinthians 14. So as we've mentioned in previous weeks, the Corinthians would gather together. There's probably about 20 or 30 of them. And so during this kind of gathering church service, what would happen is there would be mass chaos. So there was people that were speaking in other tongues. There were people that were prophesying. And kind of in this, uh, in this passage, most of those gifts are what we deem supernatural gifts. So as Paul kind of hears the questions from the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, he also wants to move towards instruction about spiritual gifts. It was really chaotic. And so one of the main things that Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, your church services are really weird. So he's trying to paint this picture of, you know, outsiders aren't feeling comfortable coming in. You have people that don't see spiritual gifts as God's grace. They see them as tokens of achievement. They see it as building up their spiritualness. So I think that that's important. And I, you're probably going to hear me say this a couple times. If Paul wrote a letter to Browncroft about spiritual gifts, it would probably be really different. But if he wrote a letter about spiritual gifts to other churches, it might relate to, to Corinth. So part of our task to this morning is let's understand the big picture things that Paul is saying. And before we jump into application, um, I know that all of you lost an hour and you're like, man, I really want to learn some biblical Greek this morning, but we're going to do that. So this is a key to understanding this passage. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul uses the Greek word pneumatikos, which is spiritual people or spiritual things. 
And then he moves to 1 Corinthians 12, 4, and he uses the word charismaton, where we get the word charismatic or charisma. Why is this so important? You know, we live in a culture today that wants to be super spiritual and spiritual people like Corinth. And so Paul uses the word that the Corinthian church is comfortable with. It's a word that's tied to achievement. It's not necessarily tied to grace. And he's saying about the questions about spiritual gifts, but then he redefines spiritual gifts in verse four. The word charismadon in Greek literally translated is grace gift. Do you see what Paul's doing? A lot of times when we talk about gifts, whether they're graduation gifts, whether they're uh, hostess gifts, is they're tied to some achievement or accomplishment. They're tied to maybe even returning in, in, in some or compensating. And what Paul is saying here is he goes, no, 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 no. We're talking about spiritual gifts. These are grace gifts. So you might be wondering, what is a spiritual gift? And I just kind of want to define it. It's a rough definition, but it's really important. Spiritual gifts are gifts that are motivated by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given to individuals. So why is that important? Spiritual gifts ultimately lead people to Jesus, and that's what Paul is saying here. That's one of the big picture things. Hey, if you operate and use spiritual gifts, you're not using spiritual gifts to make yourself seem more important. There's not this hierarchy of spiritual gifts. No, 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 no. It should point people to Jesus. And God in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite grace empowers us through the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you might be wondering, hey, What's the difference between like a spiritual gift and other gifts? And I think it's really important. We, uh, on the Why God Why podcast, which is a podcast that's produced by Browncroft, we had a guest by the name of Don Everett. Uh, he wrote a book called Gifted for More or Discover Your Gifts. And what he talked about is this, there's, there's common gifts and then there's spiritual gifts. So for common gifts, we believe that every person that's ever been created and that's in God's image has common gifts. You have personality, you have abilities, and those are things that are given by God. But when we talk about spiritual gifts, it's tied to God's grace. It's tied to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's a little murky, but there's an overlap. And that's what Don Everett talks about. There's an overlap of some of our common gifts, but then also some of our spiritual gifts is that God takes who we are, who he created us to be, and he invites us to give these gifts out of what he's done for us to love other people. So in doing all of that background work, I want to kind of jump into the passage. And there's three ideas that I think are specifically applicable to Browncroft. And the first idea is this, and it's really important, is spiritual gifts don't feed our insecurity or pride. Spiritual gifts don't feed our insecurity and pride. So where, where do we see that in the text? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, and starting with verses 1 to 3, if you're a note taker, you know, you might be wondering, what is Paul doing? He's talking about mute idols. He's talking about being led astray. He's talking about this spirit uh, about, uh, you know, if this person says Jesus is Lord, if they're not saying Jesus is Lord. If, if I was to kind of sum up the teaching of what Paul is doing, Paul is again trying to reframe and saying, 
hey, if you operate in spiritual gifts, ultimately they're going to point to Jesus. If you want to write this down, this isn't the first time that Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1.7, he talks about imparting and giving a spiritual gift. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he talks about the church being divided. So what Paul is doing, this idea, what, what's up with these mute idols? What Paul is saying is, hey, in your old life, you worshipped mute idols that demanded karma, that demanded achievement, and now you've experienced the grace of God. And then later on, he's talking about just the spirit of, of pointing people to Jesus. And he's saying, don't go back to your old life. The problem with the Corinthian church was they were using the pneumaticos, they were using the spirit as a way to give themselves status. And go back and listen to all the other, uh, all the other messages on Corinthians. Go read the first 12 chapters, and you'll see this time and time again. The Corinthian church was kind of going back to the old life. Instead of operating out of love and humility, they were operating out of pride and insecurity. So pride. When we think of pride, and especially in terms of spiritual gifts, of what Paul is saying, pride is this. It's, I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. Insecurity is this. I'm not good enough. So what Paul is addressing in the first three verses is there's the haves and the haves-nots of spiritual gifts. And he's saying both approaches are wrong. Because for many of us, when we think of this idea of having a spiritual gift, we either say, I'm really not good enough. There's someone that does it better than me. There's someone that's smarter than me. Or we live in this pride of, what would the church do without me? What am I supposed to do? And it's not always this negative, arrogant pride. It's this feeling that if like, if like we disappeared, then the spiritual gift would disappear. And Paul's saying, on the contrary, that's the way you used to live with mute idols. That's the way that you used to live in your past. And I think what Paul is inviting us to do is he's inviting us to experience the freedom of the gospel. What would it look like if we didn't live with insecurity or pride? What would it look like if we didn't demean the fact that we were created in God's image? God has gifted you. You have things that God wants you to share with other people. And what would it look like if we didn't feel as though that our gift was so vitally important that, that we, the church couldn't make it without us? We'd have a whole lot healthy church. Now, for some of you, you might be wondering, how in the world can Peter do a message about spiritual gifts without talking about Encanto? This is for you. So for those of you that haven't seen Encanto, Encanto is a Disney film uh, that came out about two years ago. And it's a story about this family that a few of the individuals in the family got spiritual gifts, or got Gifts, I should say. Common gifts, not spiritual gifts. But they got gifts, and they got these supernatural gifts, and Disney, as always, does a great job of storytelling. In this picture, there's two sisters. Maribel is the smaller one. She actually doesn't have any gifts, and um, in a little bit, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler alert. But then the taller sister is Louisa, and Louisa has this gift of strength. 
And Luisa, in her gift of strength, there's actually this song called Surface Pressure, where she has all this pressure on her. She's carrying donkeys, she's carrying rocks, she's doing all of this, and she just feels this pressure that if she was to not give up her gift, or if she was to just relax, that the, the town would go down. Then on the other hand, Maribel feels that because she doesn't have a gift, she doesn't matter. Here comes the spoiler alert. At the end, there's a song called All of Me. And as they're singing this song, All of Me, one of the lines that's directed to Louisa is, you're more than your gift. And then as the song closes, the message to Mirabelle is, you are a gift. If I was to sum up what Paul is trying to do in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians, he's reminding, hey, you are way more than your gifts and your abilities. For those of you that are in pride, whether it's negative pride, whether it's feeling like the world would fall apart, hey, you are more than your gift. God has things under control. But then to the insecure individuals who feel like my gifts don't matter, I'm not good enough, he says, you are a gift. I hope you hear that loud and clear, what Jesus has done in the gospel, what Jesus has done through the message of the gospel, through his death and resurrection, is he reminds us we don't have to live in insecurity or pride. So number one, uh, the first uh, idea is spiritual gifts don't feed our insecurity or pride. But then number two is this, spiritual gifts serve others. Spiritual gifts serve others. If you have your Bibles, look at verses four through, through six. Um, I want you to kind of understand what Paul is doing. You might be wondering, why is Paul so repetitive with the word different and same? Uh, our, on our screens, you can see this here. I want you to have this little visual of what Paul is doing. So in verses four to six, it says this. It says, different gifts, same spirit, different ministries, same Lord, different workings, same God. This morning, we sung the song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and it mentions this word Trinity. And this idea of Trinity is that, that there's three in one, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in relationship together. They're as one and three in one, that there's unity in diversity. So Paul takes this huge idea this theological concept, and he ties it to gifts. So number one, what is he saying about gifts? He's, he's saying this. He's saying there is different people. There are, there's diversity among Christians. There's diversity among the working and among the gifts, but it's the same Lord. It's the same God. It's the same Holy Spirit. Is that as a church, we reflect the unity and diversity of the Trinity. Pretty profound. And I think I would add a second thing to that. When we think about God's work in our life, when we think about Jesus who's with us, when we think about his death and resurrection on the cross, Paul is tying it to the character of a self-giving God. Not a God out to to lord over us, not a God out to, to, to rule over us so that, so that we would pay homage like a mute idol. No, no, no. On the, on the contrary, 
the Trinity and the self-giving of God is why we give gifts. Not out of achievement, not trying to earn God's love or respect, not trying to earn each other's love and respect. No, and he's saying different gifts, different workings, different ministries, but in unity. And then when we get to verse 7, he kind of sums it all up and he, and he talks about that, that we operate and use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We don't give to earn God's love. We don't give to earn other people's respect. We give because we have been given the gift of salvation. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts serve other people, you might be wondering, why, why would we spend so much time on spiritual gifts? I want to, you know, I mentioned Don Everett's. He did a study with Barna. I just want to read something that's really important, a few statistics. 97% of people who took a study on gifts from Barna said that they feel closer to God when they develop gifts. 97%. So I don't know who that 3% here is, but anyways, 97% of participants said they feel closer to God when they develop their gifts. 93% of Gen Z have put effort in developing their gifts. And there's still a large percentage of people that would come to church if they knew that they could develop their gifts. I want to just kind of say one thing to you to kind of help you out here. At Browncroft, I love you all. I care about you. I care about theology. I care about studying. But we are a thinking church. You know, and I think that that's a really, really good thing. But I can tell you about spiritual gifts, and we can debate the theology, and there's different views, and thank God Rob's going to preach about 1 Corinthians 14. You better come back here. But here's, here's the deal. At some point, you have to put your theology and your thinking into practice. And we have a younger generation that is asking, how can I use my gifts for the common good? And for those of you here, you know what happens when you use a spiritual gift and you're not sure, hey, did, did I do it right? Or they, but when you see that God is at work, I want to encourage you, Browncroft, to take that next step. I want to encourage you, this, this conversation on gifts, it is super applicable and it matters. I hope we have right theology. I hope you understand the Greek of love your neighbor. But if you don't actually love your neighbor, it doesn't make a hill of beans. So when we say spiritual gifts serve other people, just as God has graciously given to you, so God has called you to graciously give to other people. Now, what does that look like? I want to just give you two quick examples of what that looks like. Number one, uh, in the video, we mentioned about this prayer experience. There's about 100 people, uh, maybe 120, that were here together with us on Monday night. I thought it was a beautiful picture. I actually emailed the staff that was involved, and there's individuals that said, hey, I saw the gift of, of leadership with John Amayo and Tricia Smith. I saw the, the gift of encouragement with Tricia Yoder, who did a room full of self-image and um, with mirrors, and it was just a powerful experience. And then, you know, I heard about Alyssa Matz and also um, Alex Welker, and I can't name everybody, but they were using the gift of, of administration and encouragement to walk. And it, it was just, 
just, I wish you could see these emails calling out staff and just saying, I saw this spiritual gift in them. And I think it's pretty powerful. But I want to give you a second example, because some of you, you're like, hey, um, I experienced that, but, you know, church staff, they're supposed to have spiritual gifts. <laughs> I emailed Aaron McGinnis, who's our student ministry pastor, and I just said, hey, tell me about some students who are serving. There's about 30 students that serve in various areas of ministry, and again, gave me this laundry list of, of individuals that were serving and the gifts that he saw I want to just read one name to you. So this is Molly Tightsworth. Uh, she serves uh, on Sunday mornings uh, doing some of the teaching. This is what Aaron said about her. He said, Molly Tightsworth is one who leads with zeal. Molly has consistently been leading our kids' large group singing songs, teaching memory verses, and investing in those younger than her. She leads with a humble heart and brings zeal and energy with purpose of pointing our kids to Jesus. This is not a haves or have not. If Molly is developing her spiritual gift of exhortation, of leadership, of teaching, all of you here, the call is you have a gift. As a follower of Jesus, as someone that experienced the gospel, you have a gift that God wants you to share, to love, and to care for other people. Which leads me to my last point. So spiritual gifts, they don't feed our insecurity or pride. Spiritual gifts serve or minister to others. And lastly, our spiritual habit, know and use your gifts. So for those of you, if you go out to this wall over there, you see our four spiritual habits. So there's spend time with God, spend time with others, know and use your gifts, and share your faith. And I want to just kind of take you back to 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and 8 through 11. And you might be looking at these and you're like, whoa, these are quite the list of gifts. So I kind of want to back up just for a second because you might be wanting to know and use your gifts. And, and then there's these gifts here, you know. I don't know about miracles, I don't know about faith, and I don't know about speaking in tongues. The first thing I want you to understand about building this habit and even this passage here in 1 Corinthians is this. Paul was responding to specific gifts that were probably problematic or could have been helpful to the Corinthian church. This is not an exhaustive list of gifts. So right now on the screen, there's actually four other passages that Paul talks about with spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, which we're here, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. I want you to understand this. Paul is not giving a comprehensive list of gifts. Most likely, he's giving gifts that are important and teachable, or it's a teaching moment, for the Corinthian church. So I think that that's important. So if, if uh, Paul wrote a letter to Browncroft about spiritual gifts, he probably would mention a different set of gifts. And one of the things, just kind of on a side note, is uh, in our group guide, which you can get at browncroft.org slash messages, we actually put a list of gifts. Now, I want to kind of caveat that 
for just a little bit. There are various views and understanding of gifts. This is mostly to deal with the gifts that are in the scripture, so that you kind of have an idea of what they were maybe understood as. But I just ask you to be sensitive to maybe people that have different views about gifts in your small group as we unpack that in the coming weeks. But this all gets to the habit of what know and use your gifts is. There's not this exhaustive list of gifts. Because if this definition of spiritual gifts is a gift or an ability that is led by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit through an individual, that opens the list of gifts up for us to experience the gospel. You have a gift. Yes, your identity is a gift. The fact that God created you, the fact that Jesus has changed your life, and you're more than your gift. I think the power of this passage, the power of what what Paul is trying to say is, hey, underneath this motivation, this is, the gifts are not this status thing. No, we want you to know and identify your gifts because we believe that we're joined together as a community of God, as people that have received grace, so we are called to give grace. About three or four weeks ago, uh, we went through our first parent-teacher orientation thing with Haley, my oldest daughter. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's mildly nerve-wracking. And um, my, uh, the, the teacher, Miss Sarah and Miss Patty, they go, did you know that your daughter Haley just randomly stands up on, you know, stage and, like, grabs a bunch of people? And she, like, will start teaching them a song. And I'm, like, waiting for the punchline. Like, is this a bad thing? Is this a good thing? You know, I, I don't know. Help, help me out here, teacher. You know, I don't, I don't always see that at home. But uh, it was a good thing. So hopefully we'll continue with that. But here's what I was thinking about with Browncroft. I was thinking about Haley, and I was thinking about my daughter, Lucy. I hope that Browncroft is a place that Haley and Lucy feel safe enough to use their gifts and learn about them. We're not always going to get it right because we're human. And the fact that Paul has to write two chap- or three chapters about spiritual gifts kind of proves that we need some teachings on this. But just like I hope that for Haley and Lucy, I hope that you can build that habit in your life. I hope that this is a safe place for you to identify and discover your gifts. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter if you've talked about gifts before, we want this to be a place where ministry and inviting people into life change through the habit of knowing you use your gifts is evident. So here's one kind of piece of application. On our website, uh, browncroft.org connect, I want you to take this site, you might not be able to do it right now. We have a spiritual gifts test. Whether you know your gifts or you don't know your gifts, we want every person to take this test. Is this test super scientific? Is it going to, you know, did it go through RIT engineering and stuff like that? Is it going to tell you who you are or something like that? No, but I think it's going to help you to be in conversation about gifts. I want you to take it, and I also want you to talk about it with your small group. Talk about it with your spouse. You know, maybe for some of us, we 
take tests differently than what we actually are. It's a step in the right direction. That's why we want you to take it. And as we close this service today, and as the music starts playing, I, I want to give you just a little time. I have three reflection questions that I just want you to begin to think about in terms of spiritual gifts. You can grab your phones or grab a piece of paper, but I want to give you a little time. Here's the three questions I want you to think about. Number one, how are you identifying your spiritual gifts? You know, it is testing. You know, take a test. I think it's helpful. It gives us something concrete. But also, what experiences do you have? What are the passions? The second question is, is this, how are you helping others find their spiritual gifts? And then how are you developing your gifts if you know your gifts? I, as these questions are up, I just want you to take some time to think through those. Take about two or three minutes right now. I'm sure you all could probably spend 20 minutes trying to answer those questions, but I want you all to stand with me. You know, I know that some of you hang out and you have conversations. I, I just want to give you like a conversation starter. You know, start talking about the gifts that you might see in other people, but also, you know, maybe a gift that God has given you. I want to just kind of remind you of three quick things. Number one, uh, we have a prayer room. Um, so some of you, maybe God's stirring something in your heart. Um, it's over to my left through the exit over there. If you need some prayer, you know, we've focused on prayer in this season. I want to encourage you to take that step. Um, the second thing is this. If you're newer to Browncroft, uh, to my right-hand side as you come out, there's a Next Step Center. I want you to grab, you know, get to know us. We want to help you get connected. Um, and then last quick thing, you know, we've been in this kind of season of spiritual formation and of focus, and we want to help you develop practices in your life. Um, space is very limited. Uh, we have a spiritual formation conference that's next Saturday. If you haven't signed up for it, I want to encourage you to do that. The way I want to close this service is this. If you can put your hands out, I want to pray a blessing over you if you feel comfortable. So may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you. May the empowerment and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit be with you. I pray as you identify and develop your gifts that you would see that God is the ultimate gift giver and we are called to reflect his character. I pray that you would not live in insecurity or pride, but you would live in his grace and in his truth. And I pray that you would be an encouragement to others to identify and develop their gifts wherever you meet them. And we pray this all in the name of the resurrection and life and all God's children said, amen. Be blessed.